Hi, and welcome to the second episode of Who We Are Matters. I'm your host, Aire Compido. On this month's episode of Who We Are Matters, I talked to Dr. Ines Gonzalez Perez Chica. The reason I wanted to interview her is because she went from Tijuana to the director of Latino Communications Institute at Cal State Fullerton. And she made a short pit stop to graduate from Harvard University. Funny enough, this is something I forgot to bring up when I first interviewed her. And I felt so strongly that it had to be mentioned that I convinced her to make some more time for me in her busy schedule so we could have another chat. The second time around, we talked in her fairly minimalist apartment, which makes for better acoustics. But I wish I had thought of that when I first interviewed her. Outside, under an airplane flight path. I've said it before, this podcast is operating on a learning curve, and I don't count on state-of-the-art software and equipment, but I hope to change that soon. There's a plan in the works to help raise the funds to buy traveling podcast equipment, so I'll keep you guys posted. In the meantime, enjoy my very primitive episodes of Who We Are Matters. start us off with how we know each other. So I know you because you are the daughter of my nephew Andres and Julie and um, that is how we know each other. What I've always known about you is that you had connections to people and if anybody ever needed help within our family on job interviews or networking or anything that they went to you. You were the person to go to. That is like the biggest thing that I've I've always known about you. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I know about you is that you have incredible parents and I'm not supposed to have favorites in nephews and nieces, but I will say that your dad is is on the top of the list and then your mom i mean your mom's just kind of my niece i've totally adopted her like she's not an in-law and and so you as a result of your parents are just such a creative person and i'm just really looking forward to what you're gonna do in life and even just this the podcast is just incredible so i am just so happy to say that you're my relative and eventually i'm gonna go like Aida's the one that knows people. She's going to introduce me to whomever I want to get introduced to. So, so happy that we're family. My favorite memory of you is going to your Harvard graduation when I was in first grade. And I remember that it was like a week-long trip that I went to Boston. And we went to the graduation party, I think Mm -hmm. it was. And then I was there on the campus, and then I saw you graduate, and then we got to go around and, and be a tourist mm-hmm. for a day. So that was my favorite memory. Well, that's really funny because that's one of my favorite memories, too, because I just love that you were there, and you were this little kid. I mean, there was, like, older nieces, but then you were there, and it really seemed like you were getting it, even though you were how old? I was in first grade, seven? So, so yeah, I think I was seven. I mean, I just didn't know if you were going to get it, what was happening, mm-hmm. but yeah, you were there and you were there. You weren't mm-hmm. this little kid not knowing what was happening. So that is my favorite memory as well. You were born in Tijuana to American parents of Mexican descent. How did that happen? So my dad was born in Brawley and my mom in Merced. And after they got married and had their older kids, they decided to move to Mexico. They thought that they could offer us a better life in Mexico. And actually they were right and they did because they were not rich. They were starting and Mexico gave them more opportunities. And so my dad ended up being a businessman selling produce. And I think there were more choices for him, but that's so rare because I think everybody hears about the stories of everybody coming North and 
they went south. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I'm a bilingual, bicultural person. When I go to Mexico, I, I'm not a tourist. That's my country. And I have two citizenships. I have two pa passports, and I'm very proud of both countries. So you have, wait, so you have two citizenships? Right. But I thought once you were 18 that you had to choose a certain citizenship. So I was born in Mexico, and Mexico allows me to keep that citizenship. And then in the United States, I was naturalized and was a citizen, and I have two passports, All and right. it's allowed. I believe that because both of my parents were U.S. citizens, then I automatically it gave me that right. Mm -hmm. So you were raised in an English-speaking household, right? So my parents definitely always spoke to us in English at, at home, and I went to school in Mexico, and so I would always speak Spanish, and I do remember that my parents would speak to us in English, and I would answer in Spanish, and that's probably what happens to you, and that's probably what happens to a lot of people here. Uh -huh. It's really hard to, yeah. to keep the language, and so what happens at home, whatever you speak, it's very important, you know, because, and so they did speak to us in English. And in fact, I thought I was bilingual, but the truth is what I could do is when we would go from school in Mexico to Disneyland, I was the one that would order the hamburgers. And so that was how bilingual I was. The truth is I could not have a conversation in English. And so I did struggle when I got here as a senior in high school because I just felt very self-conscious about my English. I also think I learned English watching TV. I, I watched a lot of TV and we would only watch English TV. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that also is how I learned. So like you never spoke in English when you were with your sisters. We would always speak in Spanish. And so I really did have to transition. Recently, I was writing an op-ed in Spanish and I was like, wow, I think in English now. Like I used to think in Spanish, but now for me, it's easier to write in English and then translate it. It just doesn't come that easy anymore. But when I was growing up with my sisters, we would always speak Spanish to each other and with my friends. I mean, I would never want to speak English to my sisters or my friends because it would be so hard. It would not be authentic coming from the heart. Even when I was older and dating, like dating someone that didn't know Spanish, that was hard because it's like your emotions, your feelings, everything is, it was in Spanish. Now it's in English. Yeah. And like, it, there's not always a direct translation for the words or like what you're feeling. Like, how do you say, me cae gorda? How do you explain uh, that to an English that's speaker? That's right. That's right. She falls, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, that's right. And, and, you know, like, so idioms, right? I mean, it's like, that's the hard thing. So I remember being an adult and hearing she passed away and I had no idea what that meant. She passed away. She yeah. passed. Like, <laughs> I did yeah. not understand that that was somebody dying. And so, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and then it's also like with different areas, even in Mexico, right? You have Southern Mexicans like, oh, es Norteña, and they can tell that by the way that you speak. Right. Like even when my abuela was in Cuba, she was telling me that they automatically knew that they were Mexicans. Yes, yeah, there is an accent. And, and, and in the border, you're right. I mean, I when when I would travel in the interior of Mexico, people would go, oh, Cachanilla, right? Which yeah. is from Baja California. Because yeah. I don't I don't hear it, but they hear it, the accent, yeah. That seems like it would definitely have been something that was, like, challenging for you to translate in your mind. Yeah, for sure. When I came here, it was hard. And even writing. So I remember, so my first year in, in the U.S., was my senior year in high school and that was a really hard year and it was very like yeah very very sad and very hard because it, I was in an all Anglo uh, school and, and yeah it was just a culture shock but I remember going to the university and starting to write notes and you know like I remember writing sun s-u-n and it was sun, like the, you know, I was writing phonetically. And uh -huh. so, yeah, writing, it's not only just, it's very hard, very hard in the beginning, but it gets better for sure for anyone that that is listening to this and that's um, going through that process, just the practice, right? And reading and everything, it just gets better. Were you a good student when you were in Mexico? Yeah, I was a very good student. I actually was selected as one 
person representing Baja California Norte to go and meet the president of Mexico. Oh, so wow. they, they selected one person from every state and I won the competition. And, and so that's why in my house, my dad would call me Cerevito de Oro. So uh, that was my nickname. So yes, I was very <laughs> smart. Did that like slip when you, when you were struggling? It did, it did actually. So I did graduate with honors from high school only because I had such great grades in Mexico. And so uh -huh. I don't even know what kind of grades I got as a senior at uni in San Diego. But, um, but yeah, I graduated with honors. I was actually surprised. I mean, it was yeah. actually when I was looking at the, at the pamphlet that they give you on graduation, there was like a little star there. It's like, oh, I graduated with honors. And yes, in USD, um, I think I graduated with a 2.5 GPA. And, right. and that's not only because of the English, but also because my major was computer science and it really was not probably the ideal major for me. And so I didn't like it and yeah. I, I, I struggled. What did you initially want to be when you were in high school? So I don't know that I thought that. And I just think like when you're 18 and you're supposed to know what you want to do for the rest of your life, I mean... I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a waitress. You know, I just liked that. I think a lot of, a lot of little girls like that. And I just thought that was the best thing. And um, so, yeah, I don't know that I knew what I wanted to do. But my dad, um, actually, he said that I was good in math. And so he suggested that I study computer science. If I had studied what I wanted to, I would have studied history, but I have no idea what I would have done. Maybe I would have ended up being a teacher. I mean, my whole future would have been very different. Uh, I just like to read and I like history, um, but that wasn't very practical in my dad's eyes. What do you mean that wasn't very practical in your dad's eyes? I, I think because he didn't go to college, he really wanted the best for us. And he just saw more opportunities if you were a teacher or if you were an accountant. And so he just did, could not see what a history degree, where it would take me. He wanted to make sure that you were going to make money no matter. Uh -huh, that I would be able to get a job, right? And yeah. it is true. I mean, the truth is I, I work in a university and I see students that can't find jobs. And so I do appreciate the importance of being practical. So then after you did computer science and you figured out that you didn't like it, what was your thought process? Like, okay, now what do I do? Yeah, so when I was a junior, I just knew that this was not the right career for me. But I was already a junior and I wanted to graduate in four years. So I was just like, I'm going to do it. And so I did it. And then I graduated. And then a friend was working at a software company and she helped me get a, get a job there. And so I did that for a year. I was programming uh, software that was sold to schools for young kids. So then my dad passed away. And actually, when my dad passed away, I... I never went back to my job. I, I, um, I gave my notice and I left my job and I was with my mom helping her for a while. But, you know, when my dad died, I was like, I don't have to do this anymore um, because I kind of realized I was doing it more for him, you know, and so, but it was really hard to find a job afterwards because my resume said computer science and I didn't want that. And so who was going to hire me for anything else? So it was definitely hard to find my next step. But it happened. Somebody gave me a chance. And then I ended up working as a building manager in downtown San Diego. For what company? It, it, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was a company that was hired to manage that building in downtown San Diego where the trolley stops mm -hmm. that has a clock tower. I, yeah, yeah. I was I was hired before it opened to help the tenants move in. And so it actually was a fun job. I learned how to reset the elevator and, you know, it was still in construction. So I learned a lot of great things. And But then after a year and a half, you know, the tenants were in. Then really the complaints that I would get would be, there's no toilet paper in the bathrooms and so like I was like I think it's time to move on and so I did yeah so what did you move on to so I moved on to working for the transit agency so the owner of that building was the transit agency and so I knew the the person 
in in that agency and he heard that I was going to start looking and he was impressed with uh, my work ethic and he was like, why don't you apply? But really, he just gave me a great chance because what he hired me for, I had no idea. It was running a new program to help small businesses, uh, businesses of color, and I had never done it. And I'm sure people that applied, applied and had run programs like that, but he just gave me a chance. So I just think it's really important to help others, you know, sometimes like hiring the person with the most experience is not necessary. Maybe sometimes for some jobs, when you see somebody really enthusiastic with, with work ethic and you go, I want to help that person. And so I've tried to do that in my career when I have been in positions to hire, to also look at at giving a chance to someone. So then what was your career life after like what trying to find yourself, trying to find out what you wanted to be? So I, I think I have a very interesting trajectory and I think people don't say this a lot. The truth is there's 40 year old people that still wonder, what do I want to do when I grow up? It's a question. It's a life question. You know, I worked there, I was learning, and I actually thought I was going to leave after two years because I just was that type of person that after two years I wanted to leave, but it was a really good job and I had a really good boss and they were paying me well and I had a nice office with a window and that agency, you know, people stayed there forever, but I was too young and so the truth is I tried to find jobs and I could never find something that could pay me as much as I was getting paid there. And so I stayed there eight years and then my mom passed away, you know? And so, you know, there's a theme here that comes up, right? When somebody passes, that's like a big catalyst of like, you start like evaluating your life and everything. And actually when my mom passed away, I was just like, I'm, it's time to leave and do something different. And so, um, so then I wanted um, some private corporation, Fortune 500 experience. So I went to work for Raytheon. I didn't like it, but I stayed for a year just to get it done. Mm-hmm. And then I left my job without having a job. And I don't recommend it, but I'm proud that I had confidence and faith that I would find something else. And then I told a lot of people that I was looking for a job. And really, I feel that the universe has helped me. I just, I don't worry anymore because I feel like I've I've done what I'm supposed to. I have a good brand. I work really hard. I went to school and I got my master's. And so I'm a good employee and and I don't worry because I just feel that I will find a good opportunity. Then I was hired by an HMO and then I was laid off. And that was super surprising. It's a funny story because that company was going to do layoffs and they had told us they, there was going to, there was tough times. And so I was the manager of, of the marketing team and they had warned us. And so there was this day when they were calling people and they were calling people and then, you know, they would come back and say, oh, I was laid off. And so I was consoling all my team and then they called me. (laughs) They called me and I was like, no way. And yeah, I got laid off. And so, you know, when you get laid off, you get unemployment. And so I got unemployment for three months and um, it was a very humbling experience. I'm actually glad that I went through it because now when people get laid off, I know what it's like, right? I know how yeah. suddenly you're, you don't have your paycheck and maybe you were living paycheck to paycheck. So I understand. It's not like, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, I understand what you're going through and I want to help you. So anyway, I told everyone that I was looking for a job and it took a long time. It took a long time to find something because you can find any job, right? Yeah. But the thing is like finding the right job. The right job. But then how long do you wait to, right? I mean, how many jobs do you pass on if you need the money? I mean, it's just a very critical situation. I think that happens to recent graduates because, you know, you need a job, but it's like, oh, I don't think this is a job and I need to get money anyway. So I told everyone and nothing was happening. I would get interviews. I would be close. I would be a finalist. And and then suddenly they were like, I think I was, I was, somebody gave a resume to a congressman and he was um, interviewing me and I went to DC and then somebody else interviewed me. And so then suddenly two jobs, two really good jobs, I was being interviewed and, and they offered me the jobs and I ended up working for a congressman. 
I was his district director and that was really great because that type of job on a resume just really opened stores and um, it was a really hard job uh, kind of I didn't have a life you know it was just very intense and everything but I said I'm gonna do it for two years and then after two years somebody told me about a great job in LA uh-huh. And I really didn't want to go. I had never lived anywhere else. You know, I lived in Tijuana and then we moved to San Diego. And so it was very scary. Even if it was L.A., it was very scary to to decide to move. But a really good friend of mine was saying, I think this is a really good move. And and wow, I'm glad I did it. It really changed my uh, my future. But that was super hard to do. I remember be crying in the U-Haul, you know, and Ellie's so close, yeah. but I just had never lived anywhere else. All my friends were here. All my family was here. And so that was, wow, that was like a big, big move. But I really recommend everyone to, to move far away. I think it's important to leave your environment because sometimes even our family that loves us very much, they pigeonhole us. So they have a vision of us. And I think it is very important to move away and away from your environment so that you can decide who you are and what you want to be. And so it was really great. And then after a few years in LA, my boss had told me he wanted to open an office in DC and I was I wasn't interested. I'm like, that sounds like a great idea, but I'm not moving to DC. But then suddenly after a couple of years, I was like, you know what? I'll move to DC. And that was like a really awesome experience as well. Living in the East Coast and living really close by DC. So I lived in Virginia in Arlington just going during lunch and looking at the monuments, I was like, wow, this girl from Tijuana, look at how far I've gone. That I'm not just visiting DC, I live here and I'm walking to a meeting at the Capitol. It's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, you were from Tijuana, but you were privileged, right? Like I, I was, I, you know, my parents were poor, but by the time I was born and I was the youngest. So it was already like a steady income. Company. Yes. And so we lived in a, in a really nice neighborhood and we went to a private school and yeah. there were like three cars. And whenever I was going to go to a party, I would go shopping. And I do think that there's privilege being the youngest in the family. <laughs> yeah. I definitely think that, you know, I, I'm grateful because I was a chiquiada for sure. And my, by my sisters, really. We have seven, uh -huh. so. Yes, so I, would, I, I got really, I really, <laughs> I really had a good life. Yeah. My sisters have a different story, but I, you know, I had, I threw a birthday party every year. and. But you were still an immigrant. You're a woman of I, color. I was an immigrant, uh, but, you know, I had the citizenship, yeah. right? So there's people that struggle a lot because that citizenship is so important. But I will say that I felt like the other. So even though I had the citizenship, when I came here, I felt like the other. And I lost my voice. And right. I felt very conscientious about my accent. And I remember, like, when I was probably in my late 20s, one time hearing a message that I left someone on the phone. I don't know why I, I, I had the opportunity to listen. I'm like, hey, my accent is not that bad. But I had just, you know, I had obsessed that I had an accent. And, you know, accents are beautiful, actually. That's what I learned. But, you know, when you're the other, you really don't want to be the other. You just want to, like, be able to, for people not to go, do you speak Spanish? I mean, I went through that, you know, the identity and going, I don't want to be the other. I just want to be a human being. Can anybody just look at me and not think Latina? You know, now I'm very proud of being Latina, but I do think there was a time that I was just like, I don't want to be the other. And, and when you say Latina, I feel like the other. Yeah. Cause you were just like, you're only looking at a part of me. Mm -hmm. You're looking at me, but you're only seeing the surface. Right. You're not looking at all the other millions of other things that I am. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's what a lot of people don't like understand. It's like, yes, I am this, but I'm also a whole bunch of this. Right. Yeah. That's Especially why. because when I was younger, this was true, but now it seems with um, with this new political environment, it's again true that. The other is seen as a bad thing, right? Yeah. So the truth is that there are people that think that immigrants are bad and they're rapists and they're murderers. And so um, I think, yeah, it, it is really hard when all these labels, right, mm -hmm. 
Latino and then, you know, so certain people are saying we're bad people and we don't work hard and, and we just take freebies from the government. And so that's a lot to deal yeah. with when you're young. I mean, now I'm very confident and I, yeah. I pay my taxes and, you know, nobody's going to tell me that I'm, you know, I, I contribute and I'm as good a citizen as anyone else. Yeah. Do you think a lot of that that hatred and that ignorance and that xenophobia, the racism, like all of that had something to do with your career? Like, did that mess with you in your career then and now? I did when I was younger felt like the other, but that was on me more than anything. You know, like, I don't yeah. know that I faced any racism. I don't remember that. I just feel like I felt less. Uh -huh. and, and I don't know why I felt less, but I do think that the media portrays Latinos in a lesser way, right? You don't yeah. see judges. You only see what we are, but that's not all that we are, right? So we are gardeners. We are maids. We do work really hard, but yeah. we're also judges and we're successful and everything. And so all of the media plays a big role in what we think, yeah. especially when we're young. And so I felt like the other and, and I felt less. You know, what's really interesting is that I ended up working for the National Hispanic Media Coalition. And and there in 2008, we started seeing a lot of hate crimes. And we knew that media had some influence in how people perceiving us and so I'm really proud that I was part of some important studies on hate speech and and showing that media does play a big role in how we're portrayed and that media has to be more responsible and they have to tell our positive stories as well because we have a lot of positive stories so I don't know that I directly answered your question but what I'll say is that it is interesting to see it all again and um, and we have to fight the hate because there's definitely hate speech and this is a free country and people can say whatever they want. But let's hold people accountable by boycotting companies that are supporting hate speech. And yeah, that's how we can make a difference. And like NHMC, National Hispanic Media Coalition, they're doing a boycott against Paramount because Paramount doesn't have a, a lot of Latinos on their films. And so it's really important that we pay attention to these things because yeah. if we don't support, you know, Latino movies, the studios don't realize that, you know, we want to see ourselves in a positive way. Yeah. And then it's crazy because now we're seeing movies like Black Panther and Crazy Rich Asians where this is like the first film that only has an all black cast with only two white males. And then there's like this all Asian cast. Like it's a huge Asian movie that doesn't portray any like sort of sort of hate to them if that's not the main thing yeah. that's not what it's about yeah and it's been really popular i think i yeah. think it, it is going to be our turn i think latinos are waiting to see when is it our turn and we're going to be there you know yeah. really excited yeah it's super exciting to yeah. see those two films because right now all the big things with latino media and like the big shows and the big movies they're all like about the cartel like when right. we see ourselves in media that isn't in a good light that is just about latino culture it's it's something that has to do with with kidnapping or or cartels or something some everything bad everything bad i mean the only exception but of course it was a cartoon right it's like coco yeah and coco was very positive right it did show that it educated the society of like this really beautiful tradition and everything and so that was yeah. very nice and i think we were but we want to see normal people right yeah yeah, and I think One Day at a Time, the show mm, yes, that came out yes, on Netflix, yes. that was really good. That's really good. Oh, my God. Every episode has something to do with the way people perceive the Latino community or, like, the Cuban community. Yeah. So it's and, very... and what's great is that people might not even realize because it's regular. It's a regular family, right? Uh -huh. So. I don't know if this happens to non-Latinos, but hopefully they are just enjoying the story and learning a little bit and maybe relating a little bit to it. You know, it's not it's not too much, I don't think. I, yeah. I think it's very enjoyable. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good show. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Really? Yeah. I think the way the media is going now, I think it is very progressive because there's movies like Black Panther and there's movies like Crazy Rich Asians and there's movies like the book that I was reading, The Hate You Give, which is um, basically po about police brutality on the black community. There's 
there's a whole bunch of movies coming out like that, right? And it's just like, it's re- it's letting people have a voice. Yeah, I think definitely TV's doing much better, mm-hmm. and now Netflix, right, and yeah. all those online channels. And then really where we're behind is the big screen, you know, uh, the yeah. studios. And so it's gonna it's gonna happen. It's gonna change, but it's really surprising how long it's taken. Yeah. And going back to your career and stuff, what do you do now? So I am an educator at Cal State Fullerton. I got my doctorate degree last year and I'm really happy. I found like my purpose. I love working with young people and helping them find a pathway to jobs in the newsroom and in entertainment in Hollywood because of my connections through NHMC. I'm able to share my social capital and help first-generation college students, how are you going to end up in the newsroom? It's really hard, you know? So I mentor them, I coach them so that they do what they need to do while they're in college so that they are competitive. And I do think um, the institute that I run has made a difference. But when I first started, I did see, and it would break my heart to see great students that had a really great GPA not be marketable because they didn't do internships or they did one and no, no relevant experience. So I know what it takes because now I've worked with for five years there. I know what it takes to be competitive, and I really work hard to try and get the students to do what they need to do because it's not just going to school. And you know, some people think if I go to school and get good grades, you know, that's that's gonna set me up for success, and that's partly true. But networking is super important. Yeah meeting people, professionals, because people don't realize that it costs a lot of money to make a bad hire. So somebody could be a really great interviewer and you could say a lot of BS and say how great you are, but you know, the truth is you could be really bad and a sociopath or whatever, right? (laughs) And so employers want someone that they know that they trust to say yes this person is good so that's why references and the networking is really important because you have to have professionals that go yes this person is really good so the networking is really important and then the relevant experience very important so yes you know students need to work and they work in in starbucks and that's important and that's a great company but you have to get if you're in pr you have to learn how to do flyers and social media for other people maybe even volunteering for clubs and running the social media the relevant experience is super important and that's the blind spot of some people that um, don't realize how important it is So you seem, you well, you are a very progressive person in the way that you perceive the world and the way that you perceive the issue about immigration and uh, people of color. But you had a very, uh, like, not a very conservative upbringing, but you did have a conservative upbringing. How progressive would you say that you are? Oh, yeah, I'm very, I'm very progressive. And, you know, my parents were very, actually, conservative. I, I think my my parents... You know, just because of their generation and how they were raised, I think they would be not open to the LGBT community. You know, I don't know if they would have evolved, but the truth is, you know, some people are close-minded and you have to evolve. And so, and then I actually remember, you know, I went to a Catholic school when I was growing up uh, with nuns and I was against abortion, you know, because it's like there's institutions that really have a lot of power over you right and so I not only my parents super religious right and then I went to a Catholic school and so when I was growing up it definitely was black and white and then I evolved and you know education also opens your mind and and the people you're you're uh, interacting with right and so I have friends from Tijuana and they they have stayed there, and so their friends are the same friends. But I have lived in D.C., I've lived in Massachusetts, I've lived in L.A. I've had eight different jobs, and I've taken a lot of leadership programs. And so I have done a lot of work in my development. And, yeah, I'm very I'm very liberal, and I'm proud of it. I, I think some <laughs> people would be, like, not, right? I mean, I don't know when liberal was became a bad word. I'm proud of being liberal. For me, it means caring about people, being okay that the government will help people when they're down. I mean, I was laid off and I, I, I received uh, the unemployment check and that was 
it's a very important safety net. And so I believe in that. And I don't mind the taxes that I pay because I feel like I, I want the, the underprivileged to have a safety net for sure. How do you feel about the economy and the way that things are now? Because I saw this line graph that showed the economy under Trump. In the beginning of his term, the wages and the profits were kind of the same. But then at a certain point, the profit went up. Our wages are still right here, but the profit went up. So I just read today an article about the economy. And so everybody's talking about unemployment relief being low and corporations doing really well. But the truth is half of the people in the United States are living paycheck to paycheck. And the health care and the rents are going up. And mm -hmm. so we're in trouble. And I, I don't understand the, the disconnect of how we're continuously saying, you know, the economy is great and that we're forgetting the people that are really in trouble. And yeah. this is not going to be okay. The rents are going up. I hear it with my students, you know, their rent went up. They got to find another job. So there's definitely a disconnect and the way that the economy is monitored and just based on profits by corporations and not how the people are doing. And yes, you're right. The wages haven't gone up and the wages need to go up. I mean, the rents are going up. And so we're in trouble and corporations need to be more responsible because, you know, it's not okay. I mean, corporations are just figuring out how to not provide benefits. And if, if you don't, if you hire them for 30 hours then you don't have to pay benefits that's wrong that's yeah. wrong and if you have if you have profits you have to take care of your people so i'm definitely very very worried and we have to start caring more i see people working like living from the cars right i mean it's yeah. like i do ask the question what can i do and i feel like helping the children of the working family. So what I do in my work, I feel like I'm helping because if I help this student find a good job, he's going to help his family, right? His parents and everything. And so I feel like that's my small contribution in helping the economy by helping people get in and get good jobs and not the bad jobs that don't pay well and don't pay benefits and all that. I don't know what the solution is. But the solution is to care more about what's going on and try to do something about it. I think our government should take a look at Nintendo's book. Because you know when you play Mario Kart, the closer that you get to first place, the less power-ups you have. But the farther you are behind, the more you get those power-ups, like the bullet and all that. So that's how our government should be. The farther up you are, the less power-ups that you have and the more down you are, the more benefits that you should get. That makes sense. Right? I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with the game, but that totally makes right? sense. Yes. Yeah. It's just power. People with power just want to keep their power. I, I do want to say that voting, I do believe that if we vote and the younger yeah. generation doesn't vote, you know, and so I do feel that you give up power when you don't vote because elected officials want to get reelected and they really care about the people that vote. And it's, tends to be older people and white older people. And so, you know, Latinos do not vote in, in, and young people don't vote. And so I think that that's important because we can hold our elected officials accountable because we can say, I'm not going to vote for you if you continue policies that don't help the poor. Yeah. But if you don't vote, then what are you going to tell them, right? Yeah. They and care then, about raising money and, and getting reelected. And so if you're not giving money to the, the elected official, and if you're not voting, you don't have power with the elected officials. And, and the ones that have power are corporate America because they give money. It's important to vote. So are you where you want to be? I am. I'm the happiest I've been in like all my life. I just moved back to San Diego. I own a property that I bought when I was 30 and I'm really proud and I was able to refinance. And so I took money out to fix it up. And so I have a great place. I have a great job. I found my purpose. I'm healthy. Yeah, I'm, I'm really good. And, you know, it's kind of surprising because 
I've never been married and don't have kids. And I think people assume that that would be like a tragedy. And the truth is, I'm very happy. I've had boyfriends, but, you know, I didn't get married. And I'm pretty happy not having kids. My nephews and nieces and their kids are very important to me. I, I just think there's not enough role models of this lifestyle, you know? So, like, for example, Oprah never got married. I mean, there's, like, very few role models because society really puts a lot of pressure that you have to get married and you have to have kids and I didn't plan it this way but that's how it ended up and I'm pretty happy and it worked out because you were able to go from high school to college and then you graduated at Harvard and then you moved to LA and then you moved to DC and you were able to do all these things just thinking about yourself Yeah, so I was definitely more mobile because I, you know, there, I mean, people move all the time with their families, right? But I was mobile. I didn't have to persuade anybody to go, yeah. hey, let's go to Massachusetts. Let's go to D.C. And yeah, so I was able to do all these different things. So I, I definitely think that when you find the right person, it's wonderful and it's great. But I also feel that people just get married to to get married and and they didn't find the right person and I think that's when it's sad you know and because they think it's what they have to do yeah that's right it's just like they get desperate and you know and when I was 30 I definitely felt the pressure so um yeah I definitely think that like if you haven't found the right person and there's no perfect person but like don't just marry anyone because uh -huh. because marrying the right person it would, would will add a lot of happiness. Marrying the wrong person will add a lot of sadness and grief. Mm -hmm. Going back to Harvard, was that something that was like always on your mind? Were you like in high school and said, oh, Harvard's a good school, I would want to get into Harvard? Or is this something that you, as an adult, were like, yeah, I, w I could get into Harvard? It was never on my mind. It was kind of like how I've lived my life. It, it, I was in this leadership program. They took us to Harvard for a week and I just loved it. And then through that program, I learned that one of my core strengths is that I'm a learner. So there's this thing called core strengths. And just like you have weaknesses, you have strengths. And one of my top five core strengths is that I'm lear a learner. And so when I found that out, I'm like, no wonder at I don't even know how old I was, 40-something. I'm so happy to be here at Harvard. But when I was a little kid, I had no idea there was an East Coast. <laughs> I had no idea there was an Ivy League schools. <laughs> My parents wanted us to go to college. That's all they wanted. They wanted us to go to a Catholic school. So we went to USD. I, I don't think there were options of what university we were going to go to. We, the ones that went to a university went to USD. Mm -hmm. And so, yep, no, no idea about Harvard, no dreams about Harvard. But it was the best thing that I have done for myself. What was your process getting into it? Like, once you knew that you loved learning, how did you get into Harvard? How did you do that process? So I went through this leadership program, and there were these, hermanas and hermanas are you know kind of friends that are chosen family and and the those women that were in that program were like you should apply and because we were in that program there was a pathway in because if you were in that program you were a really good candidate for harvard and so really it was my hermanas in that program that were saying do it and there was one specifically one Michelle she put me in touch with the admissions lady but at that time you know I had a good job I had two mortgages and usually going to Harvard you plan it for years you save money I just went along with this thing of like I'm gonna apply I don't know what's gonna happen I think I just did it okay to apply And the application process was really great because it's a lot of work, but it really makes you revisit life and your accomplishments. And so I was, after I finished that really long process, I was like, even this alone made it worth it because you never take time to think about your accomplishments and life. And so I was like, wow, this was great. And so I, I sent it off and then I was like, how the hell am I going to pay for this? What am I going to do? This is not part-time. This isn't 
Cambridge, Massachusetts. I really, it was a puzzle and I really didn't know how this was gonna work out. And actually it was a very stressful process afterwards. I, I really didn't know how I was gonna do it. And first I was not worried. And then I was like, okay, if I get accepted, what's gonna happen and how am mm -hmm. I gonna pay for it? And, and I was really stressed. And then really one day it just clicked. I was actually in the shower. My parents, you know, from nothing built a lot. And I came from that tree mm -hmm. and I was like, if I get accepted, I'm not going to say no to Harvard. I'm going to figure yeah. it out. And if I have to get in debt for $70,000, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Did your real hermanas help you? Did they push you? No, I, I don't think they were part of this process at all. And so my sisters are great and I love them, but you kind of in life, there's different people that help you in different yeah. things. And so I don't even know if my sisters knew I was applying. I do know that I shared with them the application process, mm -hmm. but you know, there's different people that are helpful in, in different ways. And definitely my sisters are very helpful in certain ways. But for Harvard, it was this other group of people that were really pushing me. And I think that's a really important lesson of knowing that family is really important. But I'm going to tell you for my career advice, I get it from not necessarily from my sisters. And that's okay. You know? Yeah. So this leadership program that you were in, how was it connected to Harvard? Because you're saying that it gave you like a leg up in the application mm -hmm. process. So it was the National Hispana Leadership Institute and 25 Latinas from all around the country were selected. So okay. it was a very selective group of Latinas that were accomplished, right? And mm -hmm. so they had done a partnership not only with Harvard, but with the Center for Creative Leadership, which is an institute that is renowned for its leadership program. So it was really a great opportunity. We went one week to Harvard and one week to the Center for Creative Leadership. But yeah, Harvard really wants diversity and wants quality candidates, and they knew that that program would give them quality Latina candidates. And in Harvard, did you feel like a lot of pressure as you were going into school? Not like financially, but like to get your stuff done. And was there a pressure within yourself to succeed for your parents, how you had said over year? So I feel that I'm a late bloomer. And so when I went to Harvard, I was older. I don't know that I... I think if I had gone as an undergraduate or even in my 20s or 30s, my experience would be different. But when I went to Harvard, I was very confident of myself, so I didn't feel less. And I did find a group of friends, and some of them were Latino, and so I felt comfortable with them. But really, I did Harvard for myself. I mean, my parents had passed away. Mm -hmm. I wasn't impressing. I wasn't doing it for the grades for my parents, which was really different from my other experiences right undergraduate definitely you know my parents were still alive I was still probably doing school for them but this one it was for me and that's why it was so different because I was doing it for the love of learning no one was checking my my grades mm -hmm. and um, yeah it really didn't matter but obviously I had to get good grades to finish the program mm -hmm. and actually I did struggle a little bit there was one class I think you cannot get C's and there was one class which was game theory. It sounds fun, but it was actually not that easy and I did struggle. But you know, if I didn't, it was all on me, you know, it actually mm -hmm. was really liberating to have this educational experience where it was like, it doesn't matter. I have no one to impress, right? I mean, yeah. I did this because I wanted to do it. When you went to Harvard, what was your major? It was public administration. So, like government? Uh-huh, master's in public administration. So what does that mean? Because I don't know a lot about government. So I went to the John F. Kennedy School of Government. So applying to Harvard, I already had a master's from the University of Phoenix, which is not a traditional university, but I already had a master's, right? It was just Harvard that I wanted to go to. It's not like I applied to anywhere else. And this program was at the John F. Kennedy School of Government. And so really, it, was, it wasn't like, oh, I want to study public administration. I was just like, I want this experience. Mm -hmm. And 
that school really attracts people that are interested in social justice. So it's people from all over the world. And I'm just really lucky because it wasn't my idea. I just went along and mm -hmm. the program was public administration. And so it's bringing in people from all over the world and from this country that are already social justice people and really getting us to be better at what we have done. So yeah, I didn't choose it. It was more kind of like that was a program and that school was just amazing. And you didn't stop there. You got your, what, what degree did you get from? So I have my doctorate degree now. So, you know, I, I just really have gone with the flow. I mean, it's really crazy now that I'm talking to you. I'm realizing, you know, some people know they want to get their master's. I didn't know I wanted to get my first master's. My sister, you know, talked about the first master's and it made sense. And then my friends are telling me, apply to Harvard. I'm like, okay. And so then I end up working at Cal State Fullerton in academia and higher ed. Many people, especially if you want to teach, they have their doctorate degree. And so even though I had a Harvard degree, I didn't have the doctorate. And so when I got there, people started planting a seed. Like it just makes sense that you get your doctorate. And I really, I mean, I really thought I was done. I thought I was done with school after I graduated from USD. Oh, and then, so, so then I started working at Cal State Fullerton. My boss, the Dean of the College of Communication suggested, you know, it probably makes sense. And because I worked there, they would pay for it. And that alone, right? It just yeah. makes sense. But still, even if they're going to pay for it, you still have to do three years of work, right? Yeah. And then I went to this conference and a friend, Ted Martinez, had invited me and I don't know if it was on purpose, but the whole message that he was saying at that conference was, we need more Latinos to get their doctorate degree. And I just thought the message was for me, you know? I just, I just couldn't believe it. It was like, I just have to do it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to explain it, but it's not necessarily that I wished it, but then it just made sense. How many years of school did you do, like, all together, of, of university? Of higher ed, so yeah. four years at USD, two years in my first master's, a year because it was only 10 months at Harvard because it was a mid-career, mm -hmm. and then three more years, so that's like 11 years. But all, all worth it. All worth it. I have no regrets. That's good. That's good. This episode of Who We Are Matters was brought to you by Mom and Dad, because they purchased the phone that I currently record my interviews on. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. I'm working on acquiring new equipment soon, and I'd like to give a shout-out to my friend Moises for giving me tons of pointers on mics, recorders, and editing software. Thank you. So, you say that you're very happy. I'm a very big self-care advocate. What's your goal? Do you wake up early, and do you drink a lot of water? Like, what? what's I your definitely, thing? I definitely like exercising intensely. So, I go to body pump twice a week, <laughs> and I, I feel like if you have intense exercise, it really does work on your dopamine. It really impacts your brain. So, there's articles about this. I mean, walking is definitely good, and if that's all people are going to do, that's fine. But taking it to an intense level, there's just so many benefits. So I love that. You know, I'm 52 and I don't think I look 52. I have a lot of younger friends. I think they keep me really young. Mm -hmm. I like hiking. I love yoga. I love reading. Definitely like drinking <laughs> water. You know, I think it's important to take care of your health. Having health issues can definitely change the whole thing, right? So I definitely try to eat well and take care of my body a lot better than I probably did when I was young because I'm grateful. I'm not taking any pills. I go to the doctor and they're like, what pills are you taking? I don't take any. Thank you, God. I'm very healthy. So <laughs> keep it that way. Yeah. The reason that I had asked you that question was because I have this thing about 2018. So much is going on, like to not be angry at the way that the world is. So that's why I had asked you that because... 
And I know that is something that I struggle with. I read something and I'm just like, dude, what the heck, man? Like, how did we get here? So, I mean, this is not going to directly answer the question, but something that I learned, and it was really an aha moment when I learned this, is that you get to choose the people around you. So when I realized that, you know, like sometimes we have friends that drain us, that don't add yeah. anything. And so when I was young, I wanted people to like me. I wanted everybody to like me. And when I realized I get to choose like negativity, I want it out. I don't want negative people around me. And so it's really empowering to decide who you're going to spend time with. So that keeps me sane, right? So I have surrounded myself with like-minded people and that's been very helpful. And then as far as what's happening in the world, I do think that I am a very caring person and I'm very informed and it can be draining, but it's kind of the same thing, you know, like I read it, I understand, but I cannot go because then I won't be productive, right? So I cannot yeah. go and get depressed. I mean, I am an action-oriented person and I try to make sure that I'm contributing to do positive work just like I stay you know away from the negative people I also read the news but try not to go to a dark place because that's not helpful right I need yeah. to be I need to be positive and I need to be productive and I need to contribute to make my own contributions but yeah when I read about things that happen to women in other countries right and I really yeah. I'm like I don't know that I can directly impact that but hopefully some of the students that I mentor will do that right and yeah. so I figure out how to do my part but yeah it's definitely a hard time so you're exercising and drinking a lot of water helps, <laughs> helps keep you happy yeah the exercise the intense <laughs> exercising helps yeah. um what was the biggest like not the biggest but like the greatest advice you got being in the workforce as a woman of color Oh, when I was young, my mentor, the man that gave me the chance at the transit agency. So, you know, it's really interesting because I remember being in a meeting and it was a lunch meeting and then I took people's plates away and he was like, don't ever do that again because the perception. Okay. So I was young. I was a Latina and he knew as a white male that 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 was not the right perception. And so it, it might be seem strange and, you know, people that are very service oriented, right? They're like, oh, that's okay. But when you're young, you, you do really have to manage the perceptions and you really don't want to be like, I feel like Latinas, we're just helpful and we have to be watching how people perceive us. So yeah. that was very interesting information that, you know, I probably would have done that all the time. Right. Yeah. And then, and then I don't know what people are thinking. And, yeah. and, and when you're young, it is when you're starting and everybody's older, like you do have to watch how people perceive you because there's ageism against young people sometimes you know? oh yeah definitely and so you have to be be sure you're giving your place so that people see you as a professional I, that was kind of interesting how do you perceive my generation because i feel like with the way that you were saying like you need to be you like i don't surround myself with negative people that like you your generation is kind of scared of my generation because <laughs> my generation makes jokes about like not like they don't make jokes about it, but they're like, I know why Jesus left and abandoned us. Like, we make jokes like that because we see the world. Like, we know we're going to be in debt. That isn't a hidden fact to us. We know that after a certain point in life, we're going to have a whole bunch of stress. And we have a whole bunch of stress, but we're kind of just like, you know what? Whatever. That's cool, right? Like, we're kind of just like, fine, but we're not because... I don't know. Like, it's a weird, it's a weird thing the way that my generation works, ge Generation Z. So it's just like... You're Generation Z? Yeah. So I haven't thought a lot about Generation Z, but I definitely have thought, you know, I work with, uh, it's not millennial, so it's millennial and then X? I think Generation X is before millennials. Before? I don't know. So millennials is 22 to 37, and then, and then... The, the one next would be probably X, right? X and Z. So, you know, I'm sorry to tell you that I don't think a lot about <laughs> your generation. But what I do see of the generation that I work with, 18-year-olds in, in college, is that they know what job they want and they think they're going to be able to get it right after college. And it's like really shocking for them to realize that the truth is they have so much to learn after they graduate. And so... And also, 
like they especially overachievers it's just really hard for them when it's just not black and white you know mm -hmm. life is just more complicated than There's that a lot of gray. yeah and so i think that you know you're in college and it's this bubble and the and then and then you graduate and you know your first job it's really hard like mm -hmm. finding a relevant job that you're okay with and maybe you have to just go into a job you don't like just get the experience so that then the next job people go oh, yeah you do have some experience right yeah and so those are the things that i see about younger people that they think they can get there faster and the truth is you have to pay your dues you know and i took jobs that i didn't like you know and that were hard but I did it for a purpose, right? So like when I worked for the congressman, that was really hard. And my sisters would tell me, you don't have to stay there. I'm like, I'm going to stay there. I'm going to do a term and, and then it's going to be on my resume. Uh, terms two years mm -hmm. and and then um, and then move on. But you've got to pay your dues. I don't know if it's your generation. I don't know. Are you ready to pay your dues? Do you think about paying your dues? Because yeah. you've got to pay your dues. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we're making a lot of overgeneralizations, you know, talking about generations, because there are people of my generation that are like, oh, I need to do this, and there are overachievers, because, you know, people are different, people are different, right? And then there's the survivors of all the school shootings that are like, no, this isn't okay. That's my generation. They're like, no, this is a problem, and we're going to fix it. We're going to fix it so that way the next generation or my generation doesn't have to deal with it again. Well, if that's your generation, I'm very impressed with the people, <laughs> the students in Florida. I am very yeah. impressed. I mean, that's incredible what they've done. And we'll see in November, but I think they're changing the dynamics in November. And I think they're going to inspire other people. So, yeah, if that's your generation, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Thank goodness. All right. Well, thank you so much for all your your wonderful advice thank and you, like Heidi. the life experience. <laughs> thank you. I look forward to hearing your podcast. I'll be a big fan. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah.